Blog Talk Radio. Franchise pros, stand the man, Paul Segretto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Wanna lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever passion lights that pilot light under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? Huh. And grow together and expand like a rage of fire From a single to a multi-unit empire Well pay attention to this podcast that you hear It's streaming in HD to fine tune both your ears And standing Paul lays down the law Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor It's all about sustainable growth The sensible franchising Proving concepts and smart enterprises So use your left and right side of your brain And absorb this knowledge here Franchising today Franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Franchise today. Hello, everyone in the franchise world. My name is Paul Segreto, and this is Franchise Today. Today is Wednesday, May 23rd, 2018. I'm reporting live from the Woodlands, Texas, as normal, and my co-host is reporting from a rainy, wet, soggy Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, but all that said, Paul, it's good to be on the ground for a few days. It's been a tough tough few weeks of travel, and uh, nice to be home this week. Well, it is good to have you home. I'm glad you're home safe. Uh, I noticed a shout. I want to give a shout out to uh, John Tezza. I mean, a great post yesterday, uh, as we know, John 6263 was sitting behind a gentleman who was all of five foot two, decided to put his seat back, caused a little bit of issues for Mr. Tezza as John was sitting in the middle seat back in coach. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so oh. I laughed. I laughed at that. And, and oh, I feel, yeah. I feel his pain. <laughs> the, the funny thing about it was a good friend of ours, all five foot two of Nate Greenberg, chimed in and said not all five foot two guys are bad and i agree with that <laughs> so it's a little comedy you know i want to thank mary kennedy thompson chief operating officer from the dwyer group who's our guest last week and also on my front of the house today i want to read something from dina dwyer owens blog i mean i think it just you know ties into what we talked about last week with uh with mary um dina's blog today was titled the best can get better just imagine if Amazon.com had stopped with books. What if the creativity ended there? But it didn't. Today, the e-commerce giant keeps expanding products and services. And what if Netflix hadn't kept forging ahead after it approached Blockbuster to buy the company and take movie viewing to the next level? When Blockbuster mm-hmm. said no, Netflix kept right on evolving. Uh, for anyone who thinks his business has peaked, think again. Being great at something doesn't mean there's more room, no more room left to improve. In fact, the very best companies are always trying to raise the bar. And, of course, that's the kind of motivation driving things at the Dwyer Group. It's not so much about the competition. It is about improving systems where we already excel. 
CEO Mike Bidwell gave a wonderful interview to Franchise Times Magazine for the May issue that expressed just how neighborly things have become. In particular, Mike shared the incredible impact of Dwyer Group's overarching brand, neighborly in the U.S. and neighborly in Canada. After decades in business, Dwyer Group took the plunge in creating an online platform to do a better job of marketing across their service brands to our core customer base, and the results have been incredible. Stan, in fact, business has increased so rapidly that Dwyer Group is nearing $2 billion in annual system-wide sales. This can be found on Dina Dwyer's uh, blog titled Dina's Blog. Just what an unbelievable organization. Well, they keep demonstrating that, and no coincidence that they're up over, what, 20-some-odd brands um, in the family and continuing to grow globally. Um, accidents don't happen, Paul. No coincidences here. That's, um, that is the epitome of systemization and, and strong corporate culture. Either one of those is in and of itself powerful, but when you've got both of those in play as they do, it's no surprise to me that the Dwyer Group continues to just lead the way. Absolutely. And so, Paul, for the front of the house, I've got something to share. Um, I pulled this off France Social, and uh, it's a really great three top reasons to attend the International Franchise Expo upcoming next week, which both you and I will be attending and participating in. And as number one reason to attend, it, this was in France Social, um, number one was listed as growth and opportunity. The International Franchise Expo becomes the epicenter of business opportunities and a platform for franchise development. There'll be some 400 plus brands exhibiting this year, showcasing their opportunities to potential franchise buyers. And that leads to number two reason, the value of Expo leads nearly 60% of attendees last year to the 2017 IFE Expo planned on investing $50,000 to $100,000 or more in a franchise. So there's a strong pool of candidates to interact with at the IFE, strategically thinking about the ideal partner and seeking out individuals who align with the brand's goals, ideals, and lifestyle are the things that both exhibitors and as well as attendees will be marrying up and, and pairing up and talking to and about. So, Franchisors should take advantage of the new age of trade shows, and a smaller number of well-qualified leads to me is always better than a large number of basic leads that um, you know you have to sift through and work through to get to the gold at, at the bottom of the pot at, as it sits at the end of the rainbow. Um, global appeal is number three, Paul. At a past IFE, this is a quote. We awarded a master agreement for the Middle East, for North Africa region with 28 countries, explained Bill Chimero, our good friend and executive vice president of Wayback Burgers. So there's a reason franchisors, franchisees, entrepreneurs, and industry experts flock to New York City every year. And these are just three of the best reasons that Fran Social shared uh, this week as they published their blog. I've got a fourth reason, Paul. What is Wonder that? what it is? Yes, I absolutely do, and I know it's uh, <laughs> and I know it's not pastrami at at uh, uh but that's no, that, that's, that's you and me. That's not <laughs> just you and me. That's not the rest of the audience. Uh, the now the fourth reason is the gentleman we're going to introduce as our guest today. His name is Bart Oates, the recently elected president of the NFL Alumni Association. 
Bart played 11 seasons of pro football with the NFL and was a five-time pro ball center for the Giants and 49ers. He's got under his, under his belt um, three Super Bowl championships uh, for the New York Giants, Super Bowl 21 and 25, and number 29 with the 49ers. And um, a primary mission of the NFL alumni today is to inform, assist, and serve players in their post-NFL lives, which Bart, you know, unlike some others my, that I've known for a great many years, Paul, uh, you know the work I've done with Michael Stone and, yep. and the Pro, Pro Athlete Franchise Initiative. Not enough players have done what Bart, Bart has done in looking at his career in football as rites of passage to the rest of his life, um, as opposed to thinking that the game is all there is. And Bart became a practicing attorney and, and got his law degree from Seton Hall University, even while he was still an active player. So vision beyond the game is something that uh, we can talk with Bart about today and, and talk to you about how the primary mission of the NFL alumni is to help those players beyond the game who haven't perhaps taken the time uh, to think about what comes next, because there are so many years after the game where players typically are, are left in a position where even money they've put in 401ks is not available to them. And if they haven't prepped for what comes next, they find themselves in a, in a vacuum. And, um, and the NFLA um, association is in place to try to help those players and their families with um, engagement and helping them along with life after the game. Bart, it's a pleasure to have you here today. And we're going to talk a little bit about all of those things and more and about your participation next week in New York with the IFE. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be on your show today. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Bart, I'm not understating or overstating. I don't think what happens to most players. I've heard statistics that say two or three years after an NFL player's last game, he could be broke owing um, and in a world of hurt. And these are guys who have had people taking care of them and coddling them literally and guiding their careers from early days and even high school into and through college and then into the, uh, into the pro arena. Talk a little bit about what that looks like through the eyes of somebody who's played the game. Well, you know, it, it's, you can talk about the, you know, the massing of, uh, you know, a, a nice nest egg that will carry you forward, uh, which, is, which is important and, and good. Uh, but even more important than, you know, what, what your bank account looks like when you finish playing football is, is you've got a career. What's different about football is you have a career that typically for about 80 to 90 percent of the guys ends before they're even 30. And so it's, it's not really a lifetime career. It's a very short career. And what's important is that players find another passion and something else to do. And quite frankly, irregardless of whether or not a player has, you know, a seven or eight or nine figure bank account, um, you still have to find a passion. If you're in your 30s and, and all you want to do is just, you know, and you sit back and you retire, um, you know, there really is no direction. And so the, the key is finding something else that's going to allow you to grow, allow you to stretch yourself, to improve yourself so that you can feel good about yourself. Quite frankly, it's in one of the, you know, I, I see one of the biggest issues is guys 
not coming out um, and being prepared to do something else so that they feel good about themselves. Like when you're playing, you have a passion, you have a focus, you have a goal and a mission. And so it's important to have those same types of motivations after football and something that, that we, doesn't replace football, but you can supplant it. You can have something where you have, you look forward to, to get up in the morning, to go to work, to, to do something, to be productive. To me, that's, that's, that's probably more important um, than, than having a big bank account. Because quite frankly, if you have that passion and you move on and you, you find another career, you know, the, the money will come. And so that, that, that's where I, you know, with, with this, uh, participating with the franchise, I see a lot of the guys, I know a number of players who've already gotten into it, and it, it gives them something to do, it gives them a goal and a, and a passion and a mission to move forward. Is, is that, uh, here, you know, you mentioned I'm an attorney, so that, you know, I, I just now just, uh, as an attorney, just kept talking. Does that make it sense? Make any sense? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it does. It makes all the sense in the world. And, you know, a statistic and a thought that, I never would have thought about on my own had I not gotten involved with Michael Stone when he had the vision for beginning the pro athlete franchise initiative. A lot of people hear the big numbers as you just talked about, and they, you know, they hear players signing these contracts for ungodly sums of money. But what a lot of people don't realize is that most players don't play out the term of, of the career that would have earned all that money. And Michael Stone was a great example of that. He was, um, you know, he was in his fourth or fifth, maybe sixth year of, of opportunity, and he got cut in 07, the year that you got, what, your third ring um, or your second, third ring. Um, but he was cut because he got injured, and he never even got to play the season. And, and when you get injured like that and you're cut, you're done. You're, the NFL's not continuing to pay you anything. And we, in our careers, Paul and mine, and even yours as an attorney, if we go to school and spend money on, on college for a career that we get 25 or 30 years to ply our trade with, um, we're getting a lot of running room to do with our education the things that we invested in our educations to learn. But a player gets what, a, couple of, exactly. a couple of years at best. Um, right. I mean, typically you, get, you graduate school at 2022. You're going to work 40 to 45 years before you retire. Right. You know, I mean, most people are going, you know, 65 and more today. And so, you, you know, 40, 45, the, the most of, I mean, the majority, vast majority of the guys who sign an NFL contract never even get vested. Invested means you mm -hmm. play three years, three games. That's the majority, the vast majority of the guys never even get vested. You hear about the huge contracts and yes, money is so much better today, but it's, it's, it's really a number, a very select few that get the, the vast majority of that. And so you hear, you know, that's, that's where the, and as a, as a, uh, as president of the NFL Alumni Association, my constituency are all of the players. And so I'm, I'm, I'm as interested in the guys who didn't get vested as I am in the guys who, you know, played 15 years. And, um, you know, there's, and each, have, each group of folks have, and guys have a different uh, have different needs and different uh, focuses. So, Bart, every week when we have our guests 
on the program, we usually begin by saying to those of in the franchising world, you know, franchising is not something we ever aspire to. It's something that kind of has found us. Before we talk about the player association and your role in it, I'd like to rewind the tape a little bit because you had a very different kind of start in your own pro football career, at least in the NFL, right? You had a, you had your eyes on another football league before that. Tell us a little bit about how it all started. So I, I came out of college. I went to Brigham Young University. Um, came out in the, my last year was 1982, and that 1983, the spring of 1983, was the first year that the there was a startup league called the USFL. Um, and some people will remember that Donald Trump owned a team in New Jersey. Anyway, the team, uh, I, I was, uh, I had gotten drafted actually by a team in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia stars. And, um, they, I was a little reluctant, but I, in my projections, uh, as I had coming out my senior year, I was, projected to be a, a mid round fifth or sixth round draft choice and which in the NFL doesn't give you a lot of security. You're not a very secure guy. And so the, um, the guys at the USFL and the it filled up the stars actually offered me a, a guaranteed contract. So it was a guaranteed contract for three years for a total of $310,000. That was my, you know, in today's world, you, you look at that playing professional football and kind of smile. But uh, at the time, I was I was an accounting major, and so my, the I had the probably the likelihood of coming at it and getting a job in an accounting world at about thirty thousand dollars a year. So I was ecstatic, um, and and knowing that I had three years of guarantee because I was planning on going to law school anyway. So I I figured I would be able to get to the USFL, and I really never thought that I had the talents or, you know, the abilities to play a long time in the NFL at all, or even if at all. So I uh, signed the contract, three years guaranteed, and um, the league lasted three years, fortunately, and I, and I was able to, to get all of uh, the money. I And, uh, you know, it did help me go through law school. As I, But strange thing happened is, um, you know, after my USFL experience and I'd gotten enough uh, experience and uh, visibility so that, uh, you know, the situation was right where the Giants needed a center when I was becoming a free agent and uh, the league was folding in the USFL. And so timing was, was perfect for it. And, and hence, I then signed with the Giants after three years in the USFL. So we're going to talk about your career with the Giants and we're going to talk about your, you know, five-time pro bowler and three-time Super Bowl champion. Most People that come into the NFL never even see that kind of success, much less coming into the football game already having earned a lock degree from Seton Hall. Um, what was going on in your mind, and was it yours or was it your parents, or who was the guidance that led you to the game is not your life, the game is your rights of passage to the rest of your life? Who drove that home for you? You know, it's, I, I, was, I was very blessed. Um, I had uh, a mother and a father that you know, were both uh, very prominent uh, role models in my life. My mother, um, you know, encouraging the, athlete, uh, the academics and uh, not just encouraging, but requiring it. And it was my father who was a very good, he was a collegiate athlete, basketball player. And 
you know, I just I was able to get some decent genes. And then I had, uh, and so you know, he was an example for the athletics and and my mother requiring the academics. It was a pretty good mix. Actually, I was going through high school and uh, I was I was more of a I was what they would call a nerd. I I was a guy that was on the AV club. I was on the debate team. I played football primarily because it was, you know, the coach said, you know, I was a fairly large, I was larger than most and said, Hey kid, you're going to, you want to, you need to play football. And also my parents were six children. My parents couldn't afford to pay college education. So it was also a way to, to get to college. And, um, and so it was, uh, with that combination, I, you know, I, I used football initially was kind of a way to, get the education that I, I knew I needed. Uh, and then I had my oldest brother, six years older, Brad, um, played a fairly, a very prominent role as he had gotten drafted. He was actually a third round draft pick. And, um, and even though he was fairly high draft pick, it was, he was a mark, a bubble player for most of his career in the NFL, about uh, six or seven years. And then eventually his, um, one of the, one of the reasons I actually went to the USFL was that he, he had signed with the same team, Philadelphia Stars. So he was the left tackle and gave me a chance to, to play with him. As the, I was the kid brother, and we finally, for two years, we got to play on the same team. He was the left tackle. I was the center. So we were same position uh, groups and offensive linemen, and so we were in the same meetings and traveled together. And so it was actually a, a, a terrific uh, experience for me to just to get to know my, my older brother in that way. But I also saw that as, as I saw the NFL as a very insecure business and because uh, you have no control, you know, injuries or others' decisions or competition. So um, I just, and not to mention the fact that I, I just wasn't that good of a player, you know, typically compared to everybody else at that time. And um, so I, I knew that education was going to be my way to have a prolonged career as NFL just didn't seem like it was going to be a very likely possibility. So that was my reason. I started law school um, in the USFL. I finished, you know, my fifth year with the uh, uh, sixth year with the Giants. And then my, so my last six years playing football, I would, during the off season, I would put a a shirt and tie on and I'd go into the office and, and I'd uh, be a lawyer for six months out of the year. (laughs) Is it a safe thing? Is it a safe thing to suggest that most players really don't think about? I mean, they haven't thought about Wharton or Kellogg or life after the game. I, I find that the players that I have met, a large majority, and there are guys like you and Don Davy. I don't know if you know Don Davy or not. Don has a, a master's in mechanical engineering, uh, which, and he's a financial planner beyond his career with, uh, I believe, Jacksonville is where he played. But most guys that I've met aren't aren't like the two of you guys. They haven't thought ahead They're They remind me more of um, like kids in their teenage years who think they're bulletproof and nothing will ever happen to them because, you know, it don't happen. That can't happen to me. That's, that's the kind of, uh, I think everybody thinks that their career is going to be the game. And that's why it is so important and incumbent upon organizations like the NFLA to, to come back around and try to fill in the blanks for some of these guys in years after their careers hit a bump and and career changing events happen that leave some of these players in places that without an organization like the NFLA, who knows what would happen to them or where they may land. So we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit more after the half break and about your role in next week's 
program at the IFE in New York. And, uh, and we'll do that right after we do this. Paul? You're listening to Franchise Today. I'm Paul Segreto along with Stan Friedman. We're talking today with former National League Football League, National Football League star, three-time Super Bowl champion, and recently elected president of the NFL alumni, and that's Bart Oaks. Franchise Today is brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and perspective, as well as existing franchisees. This enables you to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from prospective and existing franchisees, including text. Legal and compliance is simplified, too, with FRM's document management. Even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including text messages, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experience for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. Franchise Today is also brought to you by Franchise Foundry, where they've been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years. The Foundry fosters healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. Franchise Foundry provides both coaching and consulting, a hybrid approach that delivers more effective solutions for both the franchisor's corporate team as well as for their franchisees. The Foundry team is rich in practical hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist you with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and provide you with the guidance needed to navigate them. Learn more about Franchise Foundry along with their expanding list of clients at www.franchisefoundry.com or at the upcoming International Franchise Expo in booth number. 315. You know, Bart, um, listening to you talk, you can tell that um, this was a, a well thought out uh, plan and, and map that you took through your career. And as Stan said, you know, a lot of others, you know, don't do that. But one of the things that I think is, is missing um, from a lot of athletes has to be the competitive side of things once they leave. Um, the NFL. It seems, you know, I mean, from a very early age, it's day in and day out, week in and week out, month in, season after season. It's the competitive spirit. It's not. It gets to a point where it's not a matter of just playing. Obviously, it's to to be better. It's to win. It's to get the starting position. It's to make the next team, and onward it goes. And then all of a sudden, uh, it stops. And I recently spoke with a uh, professional baseball player that had retired a few years. We had a very lengthy conversation about that. And he expressed some of, of, of his challenges that, you know, he'd been playing ball from the time he's six to the time he was uh, 31 years old. And then all of a sudden he was given his walking papers. And after trying to latch onto another team, um, couldn't do that and realized I'm at the end of my rope. And as often the case, the um, uh, they turn to, 
you know, different things to keep themselves busy. Uh, they don't have the competitive spirit. They don't have the camaraderie as much. I mean, they've been in a clubhouse and around a team their their whole life. And he expressed how he felt, you know, very alone. And of course, um, uh, he he went down the wrong path at that point and wound up with some substance abuse, which of course is just another challenge that a lot of athletes uh, obviously go through. Can you can you talk a little bit about that so we understand a little bit of the mindset? of the person that's leaving professional sports, having done all of the above uh, from the time they were five, six years old, and then all of a sudden they're in this, in this lonely place and really not sure which way to go. Yep. I, I, I see that time and time again. Uh, and there's so many factors involved with it. Um, it it's not just this, you know, having the sport and not having the sport part of your life anymore. I mean, there's there's lifestyle choices, there's you know family choices, you know there's so many choices that go into into you know having a person be in a position where there's you know substance issues or emotional issues. You know, football, you're, you you know you have the additional factors of you know sometimes the neurological damage that's done and uh, need for guys to to address that, which they can. It's not something that's uh, irreversible. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about that today. I, I think, you know, I mean, what's important to, to really point out here is, is the NFL um, has matured, I think, and changed some of the, the way they look at transitional issues. Today, I think the league and the ownership and the teams do a great job. I think they do a very, you know, they are trying hard to get guys to think about transition after football. But you know what? And, and, and unfortunately in the media, the league, you know, football, it's a professional football, the NFL gets the blame for guys that, you know, because there isn't the transition, they, they mess up there's, and, and it's unfairly placed. Um, you know, I think the league is, is, They've dedicated resources and personnel and, and real focus on getting guys. You know, things have changed. When I was playing, you know, back in – I started in the 80s, coaches didn't want you to think about life after football. They wanted you to think all in. And so in the last 30, 35 years, that, that's really changed. And more guys are – they think about that. Every team has players – has a position where there's, uh, you know, for player development – getting players to think about, hey, what are you going to do after football? Every team has that now, and, and it's mandatory, and they really focus on that. And so – and I think what's important to really say here is that it's not the NFL. These guys, if, if they come in from high school and college without being prepared, it's not the NFL's fault. And so really the onus, the onus needs to be on this educators, the high schools, and in particular, the colleges, because if they go through college without having a real good foundation about what they're going to do after football, if they're one of the few, you know, they're one of the, let's call the, the two percenters or one percent of the guys that are actually going to play the game, then that's a disservice. And it's not the NFL's fault. And so that, that's an important aspect to really point out is it's before the NFL. It has to happen before. If it, if it hasn't happened before the NFL, where these guys have a plan, 
that even if they do get to play football, and even if they do play for 10 years or 15 years, you're still retiring as a, as a, as a man in your early 30s. Sure. What are you going to do? And so it, it doesn't, it's not the NFL. It's like NFL's trying to make up for what's not happening on the college and, and high school levels where these the educators are pushing these kids through, they're giving them breaks that sh- they shouldn't be giving them. They're not requiring them to really focus on their, on other than athletics and, and give them something where there's, that they can do that makes them fulfilled. And that's, that's important. You know, there's a strange irony I'm thinking as we're speaking that we're having this discussion right now and I'm sitting in my office in Buckhead here in Atlanta and not a thousand steps away from me, one building to my left, the NFL owners are all huddled up right now having their, I guess, semi-annual conference. Um, it just it hit me as a strange irony that we're talking about this while they're right next door talking about I don't know what, but they're all huddled up together right here in Atlanta. Bart, I want to talk more about what we're going to be doing when we're all huddled up next week in New York. And I have, as I shared with you yesterday, you know, I, I came into working with Twilight Year players, um, much like others in franchising. You don't go looking for this. It finds you. I've worked for years in diversity in the franchising world. And it was through my work in diversity that I got drawn to the work with pro athletes because where but professional sports can you draw from a greater pool of diversity? There's hardly anything I can think of that has a more diverse community of professionals and, and talent than, than does professional sports. And that kind of had me find my way into some of the similarities that I discovered between players, position players. And, um, and what they do is they get, a, they get a playbook and they're told to go study and, and execute, execute, execute better each game than you did the game before. In franchising, we call that playbook an ops manual. And we view franchisees very much the same way as learning their position, learning their programs, and going out executing and executing better every day than they did the day before. So there are some fundamentally transferable skills, and apparently you're in agreement with that, as you and Tom Portese have brought together a, a bit of a program next week that I'll participate in, along with Brock Fiorentino and Lane Fisher. Um, tell us how you position the athletes to attend this program and how do you set the stage for them to understand what they're going to see and be exposed to when they walk that floor and, and get a look at what franchising is all about? How do you get them set up and ready for that? Well, you know, I mean, some are interested, you know, the guys that, you know, the vast, vast majority of the guys out of the game have a direction, have a focus. Um, this is for guys that want to do something different. This is for guys that haven't really decided what they want to do. So the important thing is we're, we're getting the word out to all of the former players, not just alumni players. So my focus is on former players. I think that this organization, the NFL Alumni Association, uh, we, we have that mission, as you stated early. We are looking to provide uh, resources and benefits and opportunities for former players to ha- live a, a healthy and a happy and a fulfilling life. And if, if their interest is in franchising, then, you know, this is an opportunity for them because it's, you have, you've got, you know, I mean, basically a who's who. And, and, you know, you're right. Franchising is very similar. There's a lot of disciplines required 
for franchising, like you said, the ops book versus the playbook. But it's, you know, you, you take a, a, something that has worked and, and you try to duplicate that as closely as possible. And you have this plan that, hey, this plan works. It's shown to work. It's worked in all these other locations. And here's what you have to do to make it work. And then you do that and you add your personal touch of your own, of your abilities uh, to make it even more successful. And then you just have that passion and drive and that work ethic to keep doing it. And, um, you know, that's what makes you successful at football. And, and uh, I think it'll make you successful in the franchise world as well. Interesting that um, I don't know if he's going to be at the expo next week. I haven't checked the roster to see whether or not his company is registered. But when I meet you next week, Bart, you're going to be the second time in three months that I have the good fortune and privilege of meeting a five-time Pro Bowler and a three-time Super Bowl champion. Ironically, we, uh, I made the acquaintance of a guy named Ty Law uh, in Las Vegas last month who, you know, he won three Super Bowl rings with the Patriots. But Ty went a step further than just looking at franchising from the franchisee perspective. He's actually now the franchisor of an athletic and children's concept and, um, and has taken the leap from, from football all the way to the franchisor side of the business. So it could be too, that in some of those who are in attendance with you next week, they may too aspire to, um, to an even higher level than just unit level ownership. Exactly. Um, I, so one of our, one of our chapter presidents of uh, Washington is Mark Mosley. And yep. uh, Mark Mosley is the d- director of uh, development for Five Guys. Yep. And so, you know, so he, yeah, we there's guys on the franchisor level, and there's, and there's guys who are you know, say, hey, listen, I, I want a couple of you know franchisees, and they could be a good buddy of mine, Eric Moore, um, owns 13 or 14 McDonald's in Indianapolis area, uh, you know, on a major level, right? So, and then there's guys that. Uh, we have Greg Robertson will be one of the guys uh, participating in the panel. He's a member of the New York, New Jersey, played just a, a short period of time in the NFL, but he's a Massage Envy franchisee. And so it runs the gamut of guys who, whether on the franchisee and franchisor and what kind of franchise. Sure. How, in, how involved do the wives of, of these players get involved in these types of initiatives? Well, I, I think the ones that are going to be successful in the long run and, and success requires stability. And, and if you have stability in your family life where you have a good relate, good working relationship with your wife, a good partnership, then it's going to be successful. And so I, I, I see the ones where, you know, Eric, Eric's wife is, is intimately involved. Actually, she has ownership interests. And some of this in the franchises in in uh, Indianapolis, and so they work together very closely. And I see those relationships as being um, for success. I see it almost necessary. Palm off the field, off the field players wives association is a fantastic group. I've spoken to them, um, and literally they are driving forces. You know, the NFL probably frowns as would the NBA or major league baseball probably frown on bringing your family to work with you. That's not an option, but <laughs> after, but after the game, um, your wives, your family and, and important people around you can become part of your business in the franchise world for sure. 
I want to give you some time yeah. before we run it. Yeah, before I, we I, run I, it. Let, me, let me just chime in on that. I, I, you know, I want to disagree just a little bit in that Please. one is, is <laughs> we got we got to bring our kids to practice um, on occasion. On Saturdays, of course, always it was a family day on Saturday where you bring your kids. Uh, if we had a, a home game, for instance, you bring your bring your kids and and let them kind of run around the locker room. Saturday was just the day before the game. It was just an easy day. But the teams, you see the families, you know, the player to play well um, needs to have the stability. He plays better sure. when he has a stable family life. And so teams actually encourage, uh, you know, family relationships and participation of families in, in activities. Um, and I, pretty much all the teams do that. And you see, the Giants was a very family-oriented team, the Maras. Um, he was he was kind of your Wellington Mara was a consummate family man. So he respected and and he really uh, looked up to the the guys who uh, had strong family relationships because he also knew that that would create a better environment for that player to play as best as he could. Totally agree with everything you said. The the only point I was trying to drive home was they couldn't go to work in the family business. You couldn't bring your family into work with you, you know, of course. and that's something that in, in the franchise world, a lot of players can, can bring their families into the business. It's not, uh, it's not something that's only requiring their talent, but the talent of many talk to us about the association Bart and the work that you guys are doing with caring for kids and, and the involvement of the association speaking of inclusion is, as I understand it, not just players, but coaches, staffers, cheerleaders, spouses, even associate members whose mission is to all get together, serve and assist and inform former players and their families on how to make life better. Talk about that. I mean, what we're discussing for next week is just really a sliver of the work that the association does and the involvement that it has in the lives of these former players and those around them, including the coaches, the cheerleaders, and the staff. Yes, and thank you for the opportunity to, to, to share. I think it's, um, you know, as I said, we are, our primary mission is caring for our own. Um, we also have a secondary mission, which is caring for kids. And so we, each of our chapters, we have 35 chapters around the country. They, they operate autonomously and they integrate, uh, work with the communities in which these players live. And it gives them the opportunity to leverage the NFL Alumni Association brand to help raise awareness and monies for charities that have uh, children-centric causes. And so the chapters will choose that we have local leadership. They run their chapters collectively as as those members of that chapter, and they decide what they want to do, and then when they raise monies, what they want to do with those monies and who they want to benefit. Um, And so those are you know, that's, and we've been encouraging our chapters as a national office. We, we work for our chapters. We give them the resource to say, here's, here's what you can do. Give them a vision of leverage the, you know, that brand that you created through the NFL alumni and as being a former player to help the community, to help raise money and awareness for these programs that um, are, are important and um, that many of these players are passionate about. These are causes that the players have adopted and are involved with that we want to support. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this is going to be a, um, a great event. 
So when it's all said and done, when we're getting ready to leave New York and you're looking back over your shoulder, Bart, you know, what would have to have happened over the time at the uh, International Franchise Expo that you would look at it and say, we accomplished our goal for this event? Um, we've already accomplished it. I mean, the idea is that it's, it's gotten out to uh, all of the former players. Uh, so thousands of guys know about it, have the opportunity to come and, and participate. The ones that it kind of, where they're in the situation of their lives, that they, they're like, this is something I'm interested in, they'll come. And that's where the success is. It doesn't matter whether it's one guy or whether it's a thousand guys. Uh, it's this is the opportunity, and that's what we continually do. We provide opportunities like this for guys to say, hey, this is an area that may be good for me, and it may not be, or it's in, you know, or it's not the time for them. And so it's I'm not looking at the numbers. Uh, we just we're providing opportunities, and that's that's our job. And so that's what and uh, appreciate uh, Tom and John and the guys um, from. Uh, MFE, you know, yeah. MFE, yeah, from uh, you know, for being able to for putting this thing together. He's the one that reached out to me, and it was his idea. And, and you know, immediately I'm like, perfect. These are the things that we want to be involved with, and that we want to promote. Well, Bart, I'm I am most certainly looking forward to to meeting you next week, um, and in, introducing myself to you, and spending as much time as I can learning more from you beyond just next week's event. Um, we in franchising all have this unique habit of collecting people along the way that when we meet people, when we meet people that mean something to us to the point you just made, the timing might not be today or tomorrow, but, you know, the old Rolodex of people that you've journeyed with and have had the exposure to is something you never want to lose. And that's what makes franchising the incredibly inter-engaging and interactive business that it is. I certainly look forward to it. And I can't thank you enough for carving out a little time today to help our audience learn a little bit more about you, your career, the NFLA, and the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Bart. Yes, Bart. Thank well, you. Thank you. And I look forward to meeting you as well. Well, Paul and Stan, thank you guys. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the show, um, to be able to uh, help others understand a little bit more about the NFLA and, and you know, the opportunities that, you know, we're, we're not a fan club, but actually anybody can be a member uh, who has a desire to, to have a like mission that, that and support the mission that we have. Um, and we have membership opportunities for actually everybody, quite frankly. And so um, at, at the show, there's opportunities. We're, we'll, NFLA will have a booth, and uh, we're, we're going to have a fundraiser there, an opportunity to, uh, for people to be able to give back a little bit. And so, um, you know, that, that's an important part of this our ethos and, and what we want to accomplish. I look forward to it. Can't wait to see you in New York. Thanks again, Bart, for joining us today. See you next week. Look forward to it. Okay. That's, um, Thank you. I mean, just a, a, a great, a great cause, a great initiative. And, um, I love the, uh, and a hell of a great guy, a great yeah. guy. Come on. <laughs> I love, I love the, I love his response about it's already been a success getting the word out to the yeah. thousands. And that's, uh, and that's tremendous. Uh, I mean, hey, Paul, you know, it's not all glory. Just, it's not all glory. Yeah. Just a, just a little sidebar um, in doing some research and learning more about Bart 
in preparation for this morning, I came across an old trading card picture of him in a giant jersey. Mm-hmm. And I'll be I'll be I'll be darned if that picture doesn't look a whole lot like someone we know named Brian Chanel. We gotta get Chanel I, together I with Bart next week. I thought that. side by I, side. <laughs> I thought that as I was looking for a uh, a promo <laughs> photo last night. And uh, yeah, back in the day. Absolutely. I could see it. And and as and as Bart just did, my hat's off to Tom Portese again for just always being creative and out of the box and pulling people together that ought to be together, um, putting this program together next week at the Expo and for helping us get Bart together with us today for the benefit of the audience. So kudos all the way around and look forward to seeing you in New York next week, Paul. Sounds good. Until then, and everybody remember, we will not be broadcasting next week because Stan and I both will be in the 30,000 foot club that day, uh, traveling uh, en route to New York. And uh, even though we might be uh, landing at different times, that that might give us an opportunity. Of course, going into New York, one never knows what the delays might be. So uh, next week, uh, just get on to blogtalkradio.com slash Franchise Today Show or on iTunes at Franchise Today Show and pick out your favorite episode and listen to your heart's content. We will come back two weeks uh, from today. Until next week, my name is Paul Segreta, wishing you the best, the very best, in this great, great thing we call franchise. And Franchise Today is out. <laughs> franchise pros, stand the man, Paul Segreto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Want to lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever passion lights that pilot life under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? Huh. And grow together and expand like a rage of fire from a single to a multi-unit empire. Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear and streaming in HD. Fine tune both your ears. And standing Paul lays down the law. Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor, it's all about sustainable growth, the sensible franchising, proving concepts to start enterprises. So use your left and right side of your brain and absorb this knowledge here of franchising today. Huh, Badlands, baby. Huh. Franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Sustainable growth. The sensible franchise.